Episode 304, The Rant, Matt Prince, one of the best to ever throw a ball on Long Island in flag football. Countless accolades precede the name Matt Prince. In this wide, long-ranging interview, we chop it up with him at Vienna of Roslyn to talk about his love of sports, his rise in baseball at Hofstra, owning bars as a college student, and his long, winding journey in flag football with Bogarts. All that and more, my conversation with Matt, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com slash sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I'm with a super special guest, Via. We're in Roslyn. Uh, we're at the uh, Vienna uh, event space that is, um, as, as the owner described, who I will introduce in a second, it's a, a Lego piece. That's something that you, you build made to order for any type of event and everything is kind of opening up, but trying to, we're trying to tread lightly to make sure that it's going. But I'm honored to have this guest right now, somebody that has meant such, just a, just a staple in all of the communities that he serves. First of all, he's a serial entrepreneur. He's been doing so many things right now. He is the head honcho of Uncle Steve's Barbecue, also Vienna of Roslyn, um, also a flag football Hall of Fame legend out here uh, for Long Island Flag Football League, um, also played baseball at Hofstra and somebody that's owned multiple bars around places that I went underage. <laughs> Mr. Matt Prince, how are you, my friend? Pleasure. <laughs> how you how, doing, how was that intro, man? That was pretty good. You, you nailed it. <laughs> All right, cool. I probably missed a couple of different things, but you know, I just wanted to talk about the relationship that I have with you. I want to say about a 10 or 11 years ago, I remember I used to play flag football at Hofstra University with a couple of my friends, uh, most notably this kid, Jeff Afortunato. And oh, Jeff. Uh, one day he hits me up. He's like, yo, Pino, you remember how I used to talk? It's like, Pino, I, I, I got this, this team, and, and they need somebody to fill in. I'm like, all right, so what does that mean? I just catch the ball. And so he's like, yeah, come, come through. And so I come, and it was you, and it was Dale, and I think it was um, – I'm trying to think who else was on the team. I mean, what, it was like those twins. I forget. You remember they had like these twins that Jeff used to play with? Oh, yeah. And I think you guys combined no those suit, teams no for suit, whatever reason. No soup for you guys. No soup for yep. you. That's who it was. James, so, Rob, all those guys. I remember – the intensity that you had within the game. I was like, wow, there's like professional flag football <laughs> players. Because when I used to play um, just like off to the side at Hofstra University, it would be like 14 on 14. We had no rules. 
I would just catch the ball and just run wild. So when it was like all of these, and I specifically remember you threw me like a five yard in and I, I caught the ball and then I got flagged and then I like, I spiked the ball and you're like, bro, we got to keep moving. I was like, Jesus Christ. I, I just, I, I thought I was doing something good, but then I realized that I wasn't doing it within the parent. Do you remember all this or no? No, <laughs> I, no. I remember you playing with us. Do mm. I remember per se you taking this five yeah, yard yeah. in? No, but right. You were a great teammate. Nice guy to play with. <laughs> <laughs> that goes to show the, the testament of how many games you've probably played, yeah. but we'll get into all that. But nonetheless, man, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. That's great, man. So, I mean, we have been in touch. We're, we're probably going to be working on something special, but we'll, we'll talk about that. Well, we won't talk about it too much, but, you know, we, we've been in touch ever since the flag football fall tournament. And, you know, just to talk about Matt Prince, I mean, he, his, his shadow is so big in the flag football community, specifically in Long Island, only because I'll say that if, if you've probably, it's like one of those things where you see Bill Belichick and he has a tree of all of the coaches that are around you think about either your rivals, your teammates, and how it spawned, you know, this new crop of generation of people that are now OGs in the game that have, you know, had successful teams or you've played with them. And then come to find out, you know, I, when I did play with you, I wasn't refing yet. The next year I started refing. And to me, I remember there was the beats of like you were starting to coach youth and you weren't really involved with the playing. And then there might have been some friction where you ended up going somewhere else and then you came back. So lo and behold, I come to find out this go round, you're playing with your kids. It's like it's like this guy can't get away. But at the same time, like it makes sense. Right. Because to me, just over the course of me and evolving in the in the flag football space of, of at least refereeing, I was like, wow, this is a sport, especially like on the quarterback level. If you know what you're doing, you could be like Calhoun. You could be like Matt Prince. You could play and you could really extend your career. And that probably was the gravitational pull for that. But what was your recollection of that day, that that day when we finally connected? And I was like, I'm working on something. I wanted to get you involved. And then just your thoughts of, of just playing that particular game, that championship game versus Venom. <laughs> God, that day. Well, first of all, we lost 22-21 <laughs> in a championship game. I don't like to lose that much. But, you know, on the flip side, to play with my son, to throw him a touchdown, to have a season with him to play with a lot of my players that I haven't balled with in a few years. Mm -hmm. And I took off for a few years to come back to see you out there knowing, yo, Ralph's my ref. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, used to be my receiver. Now he's my ref. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just all in all, just taking it in, enjoying, you know, I'm obviously not a spring chicken at this point. Right. Obviously as the years have gone, my game has changed. You know, I used to love in my twenties and thirties, you could run just as much as you can pass. And people had to be like, oh, I can't run at this guy so quick. He'll go around me. Right. And, you know, as I evolved and got older, as years got on, I had to rely more on, you know, reading defenses and getting the ball out and, you know, picking apart defenses, you know, and people trying to disguise their defenses for me to see, uh, jump routes because they know the ball is going to come out quick. But with that being said, to play ball with, my oldest son, Lucas, I remember like it was yesterday, we were walking out to Mitchell Field and he was four years old and we're walking and I got my twins with me as well, but they're not walking, they're in strollers. And Lucas says, dad, are you going to throw me a touchdown one day? And that was, you know, he's 17, so that's 13 years ago. And I remember in my head saying, my goal is to throw that kid a touchdown. Mm. Like I am going to throw my son a touchdown. Mm. 
you know, so I was doing the math. When can I get him into the league? (laughs) How old does he have to be? How old do I have to be? And played with him this summer. And we did play this fall, but we played this summer in the tournament. And he led the team in interceptions. And, you know, I did coach him outside of Long Island Flag Football in an East Meadow League. And to just watch him bring the passion and the love for the game especially because I helped yell at him enough on the field <laughs> as a kid right. to see him love it. And there's nothing better than throwing a ball to your son and seeing his smile and slapping his hands. You know, I'm so used to smacking hands or chest bumping or whatever with one of my teammates. Or, and it's a little bit different when it's your boy. Mm. So to have that Calhoun, you brought up his name. Um, I see him doing the same thing. We connect on Facebook and I see that his son and him play together out in Suffolk and myself and Calhoun played each other in a championship game. Oh my gosh. uh, 15, 14 years ago. So like for us to keep playing in a sport that we both love, it's just a great feeling. You know, I'm sure a lot of people hope they could play with their kid one day and they could glue their body together. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not that, you know, it's, it's a whole technique, you know, keeping yourself together. That's why when the Super Bowl just hit, you know, I was rooting for Brady, old man, quarterback. I had to do How it. How could you not? <laughs> just us, us old men trying to not not necessarily be young, because I think he's cool being his age and still performing at a high level where, where, you know, we would think that we have no business. Funny you should say how you had that goal to throw him a touchdown pass. I think about my son. I have this like a, a morbid version of this. I have a 2003 Nissan Ultima. And I remember I got this as a graduation gift as a senior in college. And I have the license plate. It says Mace 22 on it. And I'm trying to wait for it. And I'm, and I'm praying to God that the car lasts long enough. And, you know, I've taken really good care of it. I have a 2003 Nissan Ultima that I want to give my son when he's 18. That's awesome. Only for him to say, <laughs> I don't want this because this is like 30 years old. But I just want to get to the point where I can say, like, I accomplished the goal of taking care of this car that long and it means that much to me because I know if, if I get into an accident and it's going to be like $200 a fix, the car's worth $400. So it's not even worth fixing, but that's just my little thing. But uh, just talking about that flag football piece this summer, that was really the only thing that I refereed because basketball was closed, all of the indoor things. And you know, I want to go back to those moments in the beginning of the coronavirus, especially somebody being, you know, somebody just opening this up, the, the Vienna of Roslyn. And then thinking about flag football, I think at that point in time in July, and you know how George is, he's like trying to get it, get it started and we don't know what's going on. That to me was like some sort of semblance of doing something, right? Oh. I want to go back to those early portions of March of like, where were you in this space? Because I know it was hopping at that point. And then when the coronavirus hit, everything completely changed. We're talking about now your kids are probably remote learning and you're, you're trying to figure out what is the next step, especially when you don't even have an outlet like flag football. So, you know, first and foremost, how were you holding up during the coronavirus? How is your family doing? And when was the moment, if you can go back to last year in March, when was the moment that you took all of it real serious? I guess we were sold out at Vienna of Roslyn, March, April, May, June. We were booked took me about two, two and a half years to build Vienna, or at least what was in my brain as Vienna. We were finally turning the corner, going into the black, as people like to say, and then all of a sudden, this virus shows up. At first, I thought it was a 15, 20-day thing. I didn't know it was going to go on for a year plus or whatever. With that being said, you know, I turned around, 
And two weeks wound up becoming six months, eight months, 10 months. As we're sitting here today, we're still in the middle of this thing. You know, my kids, uh, they've done a great job. They did, um, for I guess the end of last year, no school. They did everything remote. I was checking on them daily to make sure that they were okay. And I got, I got, you know, God blessed me with three great boys. So they handled it very, very well. I'm proud of them. Yes, you're right. No outlet, no business. A lot of businesses were in my boat. Um, then some businesses actually took off. Um, and some businesses went in my direction, unfortunately. Um, but, you know, football for me was always like an outlet, as you just said. It was always my Sunday of forgetting everything in life. Just go on the field, lace it up, smell the grass, see my friends, you know, who I love that I don't get to talk to daily. My teammates have always, always been like family to me. And it was great just to go out there that first day when George finally put it together. I think it was July. I think it was July. And, um, am I right? July. Yeah, it was around because, you know, I'll just talk about from a referee perspective. June. I didn't see anything opening up anytime soon. So I remember when he was like, yeah, we're thinking about opening up in two weeks. You're still like skeptical because now you're at the point month four, month five. Doesn't look like anything's going to open. So. I'm not going to lie. I was kind of excited. So you tell me, how did you feel at, at that July when you got that email? I, you know what? We were talking about doing it. Myself and my son were going to go into the spring. And then obviously the spring was canceled right. because of Corona. Mm-hmm. And we turned around and, you know, we're working out around the house. I changed my living room into my gym. It was slowly moving that way the last few years. And now it's completely gym zone. Um, you know, With that being said, I kept in as good a shape as you could keep in at 47 years old. Uh, Well, hold on, time out at that point. I was 46, 46 (laughs) years old. Every year counts at this age, (laughs) 46. And I was excited to just get out there and just see people again. Mm. You know, like I felt so trapped in the house. Business, you know, nothing but frustration. You're dealing with a lot of clients that wanted to have events. Everyone's wondering when could they have it. You don't really have answers for them. So flag football to me, going back out there and going back to doing something I love, and especially with my son, and not only just with my son, with one or two of his best friends from high school. So not only was I bringing my son out there, I'm bringing his friends a whole nother generation into the flag league to show them the love of the game. As you said before, oh, I caught this five yard in, I spiked the ball. It's kind of like me walking over to them and say, this is how we do it here. Mm. You know, it's... I got guys like Dale, who's, you know, I love Dale. He's like a brother to me. He started with me when he was 18 years old. He's played on all these nine-mans and eight-mans, and everyone respects Dale. I love him to death. And he's, he's always had my back. He's been with me always. He stayed with me all through the years. You know, I guess, like, the difference having, like, guys like Lupa, having guys like Dale – is I knew the age difference between us. Right. You know, as we played, I kept saying, hmm, 40, 41, 42. You know, like, what year am I going to get to till these guys say, yo, Matt's over the hill. We got to go move on. Mm. We're 10 years younger than him. We're 15 years, you know, whatever they are. And I knew that. So I kind of gracefully pulled myself back. I didn't ever say to myself, oh, I can't play. That never came into my head. There wasn't a morning I woke up and I said, oh, I don't love football or I'm too old and I can't 
make this throw or maybe I had to stay in the pocket a little bit more, but I felt like I could do everything and I could contribute, but I felt like I was holding back my teammates. Mm. And at that point I didn't want to have like, they're playing because we're friends and they don't want to hurt my feelings. And you know, it's not like we have a GM and someone could trade me off or cut me. <laughs> you know, I got to look myself in the mirror right? and it just became, all right, you know, I'm a full-time dad. I got my three boys. I got my business. Um, actually Brian Alfieri who jumped into the league at Brian, if you listen to this, uh, 17, (laughs) whatever he was when he jumped in and he won in the B league and came up to the A league and myself and him had the ultimate rivalry going for probably about 10 years. We would go at it and you know, it was phenomenal. And I know my teammates, had my back and we were together. But at some point, I'm 15 years older than Brian. I'm 10 years older than Mike. I'm 11 years older than Dale. Eventually, we were going to break things apart. And I thought it was time for them to go on with Brian. So we went to about eight, 10 championships against each other. And let me get straight. Me and Brian were not friends mm. the day we you know, met on that field. Right. We definitely had a rivalry. It was a lot of shit talking back and forth, but that's what I love about Brian, and that's what he respects about me. Um, We'd see each other in the finals every year. And then basically uh, two, three years, maybe four years into facing each other in a championship game, we started texting each other. I started to break, and we became friends. And he said, yo, you drive me. And I said, yo, you keep me going. And we would joke that it was Brady Manning, that we were going to see each other every single year. And that was our joke between each other. And then as Dale and Mike, it was time for me to take a step back. They went to go play with, for the 49ers with Brian. And I thought it was the perfect time for me to walk away. Mm. <laughs> like I said, not that I didn't believe in me at any point, just that I thought it was right for my boys to move on. And, and I love watching them do that thing with Brian. I watched Brian go from five man to eight man, nine man travel all over the country. I'm like the first one to jump on Facebook and be like, dude, you're the man. Congrats. It's awesome. It's like, I'm kind of like living through him. Yeah. I wish they offered this 15 years ago, but <laughs> it wasn't on the table 15 years ago. Right. So we did what we can do around here. Mm. Now going back to that piece of playing in the summer, when you finally indeed played with your kids, what did that feel like? I remember Lucas taking a pick six. He picked one and took it back to the house. Dude, if I could tear on a field, I could have teared right there. You know what? I'm, you know, it was, it was such an emotional high to watch the smile on his face, to see guys like Dale, like Mike, like Fabrizio, guys that have been with me forever, jump out there and hit my son like, yo, you the man, dude. It was so good to see that because you know what some kids like my son you know what he's more comfortable in a setting when his coach believes in him Mm. that's a lot of kids you know a lot of kids you know you you go to a game and the kid goes home and the kid's like coach doesn't believe on me I sit at the end of the bench I never get into the game and you know what the kid has talent it's for the coach to get it out of the kid and a lot of coaches aren't able to do that yeah and I feel like when I coached my son I never gave him special treatment. I was always hard. I was probably harder on him because I wanted more out of him. And I knew he had it, but he had to know that I believed in him. And then he had to know that 
I kick him square in the ass. And everyone on the team had to respect that, yo, that's his son. And if he says that to his son, he damn right going to probably say it to us. And Lucas got to a point where I knew he's a defensive player more than an offensive player. Lucas is locked down, grabs flags, gets interceptions. Offense, he's nice, but defense is his thing. Me being a quarterback, you know, so watching him and rooting for him and cheering him on and seeing the guys around him, it was just the best feeling in the world. Mm. Now, just concurrently, as that gave you mental reprieve of some sort of sense of normalcy and then also just the the riveting feeling of just that father-son of, of playing and not only just rooting for him, like being part of the game, being effective during that game. Going back to the business end of things, so I know we're like in a very weird time right now, only because, and I'll just tell you the beats, March, shut down. April, shut down. May, no idea what's happening. Memorial Day, F it. We're done with this. So now we have like these outdoor things and, you know, you could probably talk about just having a makeshift space and socially distant and now we have the ability to have 25 people and take what we can get, right? That was the genesis of Uncle Steve's Barbecue, which was a pivot from this space and just making it some sort of semblance of making something good, right? But now we're at a place of like, okay, the fall came, the second wave came, the vaccine came. People probably thought, okay, vaccine, we're good. No, we're not good. We're not good at all. Everything is still the same, but we're not. And now we're at a point of like, we're so frustrated. We're so tired of this. And we still haven't really accepted living with it. We're still trying to figure out like, how do we get out of it? As opposed to just like, let's coexist with it. Let's try to figure out this whole time of just pivoting your business, making Uncle Steve's barbecue, and now kind of allowing people, 50 people. And we talked about it off air that Cuomo's going to let you know, at the point, 150 people in, in places like that. During this whole time, what do you think you learned about yourself during this whole year? Wow. What did I learn about me? Um, I, you know, it's been a very strange year. You just laid it out beautifully. It's been a very strange year. I've learned that, you know, man plans and God laughs. You know, this was not what I expected, not that any of us expected this. And, you know, it's it's like me playing baseball back in the day. I got up to bat. I was looking for that fastball and I got a nasty curve and I had to take it to right field. You just have to adjust. You know, it's you got to look at the cards you dealt. It's very easy to sit back and complain and say, you know, why me and throw your hands up and, you know, but it, it takes a strong person to look at it and say, well, what can I do? You know, I can only control what I can control. And. I feel bad for my employees. I feel bad. I'm not in a great situation from this, but I see so many that are in worse situations. So, you know, you could look at it like half glass full, half glass empty. Depends on how I plan to view it. Like you said, nothing's truly changed. We're trying to get out of this bubble that we're all stuck in. My personal, what gets me up every morning is I believe the more the vaccine gets pushed and everyone starts taking it and we get to that herd immunity, We'll get back to the life that we once knew. Well, we better because if the vaccines get out there and we get 70% or whatever they're saying we need and we don't go back to the life we knew prior to March 15th of 20, then I throw my hands up. Then I don't know because I know, yes, I built a barbecue um, for myself. Um, that was to keep my mind going, create something I thought my town needed. There wasn't a barbecue in this area. But my love and my passion, it's definitely the events. 
I, I love taking someone's special day in their family and turning it into this sick memory. And I love that when people come to me, you could come here for a, an event three months ago and then show up next month or the next night and be like, oh my God, it's nothing like last night or it was nothing like three months ago. Mm. I'm not a cookie cutter. I like to create people's vision inside and make it into a reality. And, you know, when I get that testimonial the day after, or sometimes two days after, depends on how much fun they had here that night. It's the best feeling in the world. That's what keeps me going. So I had a lot of people that had contracts with me for events that are obviously on hold right now. I feel terrible. This was not my doing. It wasn't their doing. Um, we're all in this kind of together. And I got a lot of people that are calling that feel like, all right, we're going to get out of this in the summer mm. or in the fall and trying to get everyone back on calendars and I'm crossing my fingers and, you know, a lot of football and a lot of gyms helped me to stay on that path. Just talking about, I think about the overarching theme of speaking to you. You talked about how as you got older and as your players and your roster have changed, you felt that you had to adjust, even the coronavirus itself. We thought about how much we adjusted. I identify myself as a referee, right? I'm a college basketball referee. I do all these other refing um, sports. But then I had to figure out, too, you know, you were talking about how you could definitely complain. And uh, listen, I've had my fair share of early in March when I was like, what is a referee rant if I can't even ref, right? So I had to think for myself, like, okay, well, I have all this momentum, but now nobody's reffing. Instead, I just started thinking like, well, everyone's in my situation too. And, you know, funny that you said it the way you said it, because you can complain and you're not in a good situation. I'm not in a good situation. It's also like old age. It's like, you can make fun of me that you're older than me or, or I'm older than you, but you could say, you know what? You're getting older with me. We're all experiencing this coronavirus. It's the greatest equalizer possible because whether you're in a hole for thousands of dollars, there's somebody right now getting evicted. There's somebody that just contracted the virus. There's somebody that just lost one of their family members. So to me, okay, there might not be equal parts of being affected by it, but either way, you're getting affected by it all over the world. But back to those adjustments, subconsciously, I think everything that you experienced in your life has lended you to that. And, you know, I know a lot about it, but I want to give you this opportunity to speak about, you know, all of those things that you've been through. What made you, you know, one of the top football flag football players out here and then just your exploits in high school. So having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school? <laughs> And in college. Gotcha. All right. So I grew up in the Franklin Square School District. I went to Cary High School till the end of 10th grade, transferred to New Eye Park, graduated New Eye Park High School, uh, wound up going to Hofstra. So I was always a Long Island guy. I've always been on the island. I played basketball, baseball, and football all since I stood up straight. Those have been, the, the, you know, the sports I love. In, in what order? Just as you were growing up, because now we're talking about, you know, 80s, mm -hmm. early, early 90s. And I just know what it was like to just play outside. Right. <sighs> you play whatever. I mean, oh, we got nine guys. Let's play stickball. Right. We only Best. got four guys. All right. We could play back. You, you had those adjustments. Oh. Like, I feel like we don't have that anymore. Oh, but I feel so bad for the kids. I today. I feel so bad. You know what? I think, you know, look, like I said, my age is 47. I think the people that were born in the 70s, like I was, I can only speak from experience. Yeah. Right. But we didn't have a reason to stay in our house. 
we were outside every day. I was shooting hoops every single day in my driveway. I was throwing the baseball every day, playing football in the street if it was two-hand touch, what, every day. I loved sports. Like, I went to school because I loved to play after school. It was all about competing against myself as much as others. And, you know, like to say that for the love of the game, like I, it, and you know, people say to me, well, what's your favorite sport? I'm like, what season is it? You know, like if it was fall, I love football. As soon as my last football game ended, I grabbed the basketball. I couldn't wait. And as soon as basketball ended and the sun started to come out, I couldn't wait till I grabbed a bat and smacked one. It's like, I loved all sports equally. <laughs> I wish God made me six, three, six, four. It wasn't in the cards. So that kind of directed my hand on what I did going forward, um, even to leaving playing college baseball, which I did go to Hofstra and I played college baseball and happens that my roommate, Sean Riley, <laughs> Riles, he was actually drafted to go pro. He played center field. He played my position. Myself and he were with a scout from the San Francisco Giants and we were training with him together. And he said to me, Prince, you're going to have to play second base. I looked at him like he had seven heads because I played center field my whole life and there was no way I was taking ground balls. I was like, at that age, by the time I got to college, let alone, I was a cleanup hitter. I was a wiry, strong guy that had a lot of pop, but I was also a leadoff batter. So it was more of, as I got older, I didn't get big enough. There was no way I was going to be a cleanup hitter anymore. I had to change my stance to be a single spray hitter. And just the thought of changing my position kind of pushed me away. And at the same time, uh, myself and my family were looking at this bar restaurant across the street from Hofstra while my family was in the video store business. Blockbuster was coming in and was going to put them out of their mama papa video store. I was already in the bar restaurant industry since I was about 16 working promoting Sprats on uh, Land. Oh, my God. Sprats on Land. <laughs> yeah, that's where, I, that's where I started. Guys like Richie Camarada, guys like Jimmy, you know, like I had guys that got me involved just handing out passes for a dollar a pass. And I got into the whole industry and I loved the nightlife. Then by, um, I was 18, I started working at Garden City Hotel doing events, which I'm doing today. Got a lot of experience seeing how they run and how beautiful hotel runs their place and then 19 turning 20 uh, that was my first uh, real walk in the park I got Bogarts in front of Hofstra mm. well we'll get into that part but I, I do want you to just explain the greatness of all of the athletes that you were around just being on the baseball team and I know that you had this this freakish athlete of a sweet mate that you would go to the rec center and I only say this because <laughs> man you go into the rec center I remember when I was going to school, I was a freshman when Speedy was a senior. And I just remember like, man, if, if that guy is as fast as Allen Iverson, and, and at that point I was really fast, <laughs> but this guy like blew me out the water. And then I could think of another time, Marcus Colston, he went to you know, stop by and, and play. I mean, these guys were freak athletes, but I know you had a, a sweet mate that could basically jump out the gym, but he was probably our height, right? Like he's five, <laughs> seven, talk about him. Yeah, well- Sophomore year, my sweet mate was Wayne Corbett. Everyone knows Wayne Corbett is the New York Jet great. He was just Wayne. He was my sweet mate. We lived together for a semester. 
He was a giant fan, by the way. <laughs> and then when he went to the Jets, I looked at him. I said, what's up, man? <laughs> You're going against our squad. He's like, hey, they pay my check. But yes, uh, he's 5'9". I give him a good 5'9", where I am. And we went to the gym one day to play hoops. And he put one down with authority. And I went texting and called. Well, I think back then you had to call your friends. I don't think there was texting. So I called my friends. You had to go 463 with the dorm room. <laughs> 463, exactly. <laughs> I started hitting up my friends going, yo, my sweet mate's a freak, bro. <laughs> he, has, he has some crazy ups. And, you know, I was watching him play football at Hofstra. And, you know, I was joking around with my brother. I was like, you know, my brother went to University of Pennsylvania. He was a doctor. I said, yo, my sweet mate could ball. And he's like, yeah, Hofstra football. He's just, you know, you know, it's not Michigan. It's not, you know, Florida, you know, USC. It's nothing major. And I said, you know, I know, but he could ball, this kid. And, you know, to see what he did as a walk-on. And though I am a Giant fan, I bleed Giant blue. Uh, I always rooted for the Jets. Every game that Wayne was out there and it's hard to be a Jet and a Giant fan because there are a lot of people that makes no sense, but I have a good built-in excuse. So I actually built, you know, I rooted very hard for blue and green. Mm. Well, also just the whole built-in of the Jets practicing at Hofstra. So it was like a normal thing for people that go to Hofstra University to be like, okay, during the summer, the Netherlands get taken over by the Hofstra, I mean by the Jets and they're always at, at the rec center. I just remember they would have these pickup games. I'm like, are you sure they play football? Because they're very much like basketball players at the same time. I, I had Santana Moss. I had uh, Marvin Jones. Uh, they all lived where I lived in the Ocean Club in Long Beach when I had my second Bogarts in Long Beach, let alone Jumbo and Matt O'Dwyer and all these guys lived at Bogarts. They were all in there. So I got to know all of them. And it was cool, you know, it was cool because you saw them come in, you know, a lot of times when people weren't there, when the college kids weren't in the place, they would sit around the bar. You'd have the Eric Howard, the old giant crate. He'd be at the bar. And it was just a great experience to meet them on a different level. Right. They're not, they're not like, oh, this is Jumbo Elliott. It's like, hey, what's up, Jumbo? <laughs> you know, it's, right. like, it's like you're just cool with them. You just see them as regular people. And then, you know, the island is playing across the street as well. They would be in watching soap operas during the day. <laughs> Some chicken wings and beers. Just regular guys. They didn't know where to go. They're young. You know, most of these hockey players are young. They're Canadians. They don't know where to go. They're 19, 20, 21, wherever they are, barely able to drink. And they were hanging out. And it was a great experience in the early 90s. Um, even when the college, um, March Madness, would be across the street. It was just it was a great place to be and a great time to live on Long Island. Mm. Long Island has changed and not for the better. Mm. It is definitely, you know, they want to take, it seems like, you know, the county wants to take the fun out of, you know, letting the kids be kids. Like it was okay for us to be kids, but it's not okay for these kids to right, be kids. Right, right, right. And that's, you know, owning a college bar and seeing how things have changed and seeing how that strip has changed. It kind of makes me sad. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a crab place now, right? I drive by it. I'm like, man, you know how many times I got rejected <laughs> the front? I, I remember one of the first time I had a fake ID and my boy went, we both went to, like, it was near West 4th. We come by to Bogarts and this guy goes, he's looking at it, He's like, what, did you guys go shopping together? No, like, no, we're from Rhode Island. We're like, we're not from Rhode Island. We're from like five minutes away. But I just want to talk about that unique experience that you had playing a Division One sport at a Division One school and also owning a bar at the same time and making that transition, you know, that doesn't sound like a normal thing that a college student normally goes through. What were those junior and senior years like? And did you always know, 
I'll reverse this here. Okay, let's hear it. I left baseball in my sophomore year. Okay. I could not do it. I got redshirted my freshman year. Uh, since Sean Riley was playing center field, which was my position, believe it or not, I've never played left and right all that much in my life. And you would think, oh, the outfield is the outfield. No, the outfield's not the outfield. It's way different. You, you got to learn, you know, the ball's going to hook. And especially when you get to the college and the guys are pitching the way they could pitch and the guys could hit the way they could hit. And it really became, could I play left field? Uh, my arm, you know, they're going to have a guy with a cannon in right field. So I had to go to left field. And my arm was good, but it wasn't a cannon. And, you know, I was very mentally set on center field because that's, I felt like that was my position. Knowing that, you know, Sean was going to be there one more year because he had three, more, three years on me and maybe four years. He stayed. I think he stayed a little. He was enjoying himself in college. He wasn't in a rush to leave. You know, to me, having the opportunity to get Bogarts across the street was such a tremendous opportunity. And knowing that I had to possibly go to play second base, I think it was a good time for me to take a step back. You know what? I, so you were... You had the presence of mind to make that decision. Do you think that had a lot attributed a lot to seeing that RKO when Blockbuster started getting into the forefront and the mom and pop and saying like, okay, let me get up to this point and pivot before it's evident that we need to pivot? Was that was that like a not not a conscious thing, but more of a subconscious thing of saying like, okay, I see, I see what's happening here. I'm just gonna x myself out, you know, and because you talked about how. You gracefully bowed out when Dale and you know what I'm saying? That was more my parents mm. because my parents had the video stores and my parents knew that they were about to get pushed out that door. Right. They saw the end coming. They knew my old, my, my older brother, Ivy League student, going to be a doctor. They knew what path he was on. They looked at me and they said, what path are you on? Yeah, they were. <laughs> so, so to me... Um, you know, my path, I've always been shake hands, kiss babies, friendly, outgoing. One of my best friends growing up's mother called me social butterfly. She's like, I don't know what group you hang with because every time I'm around you, you're in every group. There's a new group. Yeah, you're in all groups. <laughs> right. yep. So I knew I was social. I knew I played a lot of sports. I didn't just play it in the towns I grew up. I played in Valley Stream. I played in a lot of different towns. And I knew a lot of kids. And, you know, going to two high schools that were 10 minutes away from the university, going to the university, living on campus, I just seemed to think this was the time to go to this underachieving bar across the street from Hofstra and make it into a place that I had in my head. Mm. Now, I had to convince my parents to follow me because they had the do-re-mi to get us through the door. I was 19 turning 20. I had the vision, but not the money. So... I wound up getting in there. It became a seven-day-a-week job. We were open every day. I was locking that thing at 2, 3, 4, 5 in the morning. Uh, I bartend. I've been bartending since I was 17. So I was bartending Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays. I was DJing on Fridays. You know, I was in there watching football on satellite dishes on Sundays after games that I played when I was playing flag. You know, I loved what I did, and I wanted to create Bogarts, you know, today you turn around and you talk Bogarts and you're talking to someone in their thirties. They're like, dude, Bogarts lying around the building. Da, da, da. People think that's what it was when I got there. That was the farthest thing. I remember the night I walked in, I remember the, the register tape, the night I walked in, 
We left on a Thursday night, which was my first night. It was in April of 1994, and we barely broke $2,000. And after paying people out and this and that, I was like, oh, that's all this place makes? A year later, we were doing $10,000. 10 years later, we were doing over $20,000. Like, it was just a different... So the, the kids that came and saw it a year or two in 95 and 96 and 97... They have great memories, and they're like, oh, Matt walked into a gold mine. Anyone can walk in here and do this. I'm like, we didn't have a DJ booth when I walked in here. There was a jukebox, and that was a closet where we had ketchup in there. <laughs> like I ripped it apart and made that a DJ booth. And the downstairs, though it still leaked on everyone's head, it was a, it was a lot worse. The plumbing was coming through the ceiling. Yeah, it was a shit show, to say the least. But I knew that we, you know, we had the biggest space, square footage-wise, Back in 91, 92, 93, when I got to Hofstra, everyone went to McKeebs. McKeebs was the place. I went to McKeebs. Everyone went to McKeebs, but McKeebs was like half the size of Bogart's, mm. you know? And it was one floor. And I said, why can't I get people to come this way? You know, I, you know, and you know what? I had the vision to start that one, but five years later, to go down to Long Beach and create something on the East End, which I think that was my favorite thing. Because back in those days, it was the Inn and it was Minnesota's. And Tommy and uh, Rob, who were the owners, Rob Riches, the owners down at Minnesota's, wanted me to be that partner. And this must have been 1997, 98. So I was already at College Bogarts for five years. I wasn't getting rid of it. I loved it. But, but you were established and you wanted oh, to shoot. I wanted like, another challenge. Your vision was already, and now I know how you are. That's why... <laughs> I think the best way to identify you, just like you said it, is a serial entrepreneur. Because not to say you want to leave what you're doing, but you want that next challenge. I wanted to do more. You know, you know what it was? It was like, I felt like, you know, like you get to meet your clientele. You know, like people became my customer. And then I had to watch them leave. Because yeah. sooner or later, they're going to grow up. They're going to go on in this world. They're not staying in college forever. Yeah. So I'm losing all of my quote unquote boys. You know, all the girls that I'm friends with, all the guys I'm friends with. Now, where are they going? They're either moving into New York City or they're moving to Long Beach. And that's where I saw everyone going. I'm a Long Island guy. I never really, at that point, I didn't want to jump into the whole New York City thing. So I said to my family, let's go look at Long Beach. So what happened was down there, to give a little story, is I was going, uh, I got a phone call from Rob Richards one day. Didn't even know who Rob Richards was. Called me on an old answering machine. I woke up one tough morning. I heard, hey, this is Rob calling you from Minnesota. He's calling me back. I called him, came down to him, and he basically said to me, when you become partners with me and Tommy? And he said, I heard you were looking at a place in the East End. He's like, let me give you a little tip. No one makes it in the East End. And that's all I needed to hear because I didn't want to do anything other than open something in that East End to show people that, it's not the location. It's the guy that runs the place. I didn't want to hear my whole life, oh, he did good in front of Hofstra because there's a university in front, you know, Hofstra's in front of him. Let me see what he could do in another area. So we wound up taking a place in Long Beach and we became the number two Budweiser, Budweiser numbers behind my college bar. Um, my college bar, it was my Long Beach bar. One and two. One and two of all these places because we were just blowing out here in these places. And... Two, three years later, you know, after we worked a success down in Long Beach, I did want to move on, but it was fun. And I think the biggest kick I get out of it now in 2021 is though I'm not in Long Beach almost ever, I know how busy that strip is. That strip is loaded, had 
bars and restaurants and all the stuff. When I was there, it was Billy's Beach Cafe and Gino's Pizza and us. And now there was like eight places or 10 places. It was, and I love to see that I helped create, I, I call it the East End. I think some people call it Central uh, Long Beach. I call it East. Once you're not in West, I say East. But um, it was great. I, I'd like to think I had a little something to do with creating that, showing people that we could bring people to that area. Um, so that was a nice little, you know, little part of, you know, looking back after 9-11 is when I left. We, I th- so I got there in like 98 and I left in 02. So I, it was a four-year stay basically. And uh, that was it. You know, I, I kind of parked, pulled out of there and I did go to New York City. I did make a little splash in Midtown and I went there just to see what it was like. But like I keep saying, I'm a Long Island guy, you know. I built a beautiful place. If anyone ever goes to New York and they go to Park Avenue Tavern, that was the spot. It needed to be renovated and cleaned up and we did everything we needed to do. But like I said, my roots brought me back to come back to Long Island. Yeah. That's also a testament to your vision. I think about when I was coming of age because, you know, I think what you did was you really built around your age and you could see the future. I think about all the times I go into the East End how I got to park on a side street to just get to that point. I was like, and now I'm at the age where I'm like, I'm not even going to deal with that. But to think that I remember when you told me that story the first time, I was just saying like, wow, was that dead? Like I, I, you can't even envision that because by the time I was of age, it was already hopping. Right. Right. So to, to think that you always have that vision. Now, another vision that you probably unbeknownst to you is that you wanted to extend some sort of semblance of an athletic career and then enter flag football when you started playing. So, you know, I think in the beginning when you started playing, you never would have thought that this would be your entree aside from baseball because I think baseball also is hard just like on an adult league level, right? There's, I know how you are. People in the adult league space probably, if they're at your level, they're probably playing in the minors, playing in the majors. It's hard to get that competitive spirit because you're probably above that, Right. So it's not like in basketball where at least there's an even playing field and it's just all over the place. Now, flag football brought you something completely different because you didn't know that it was going to be effective in terms of like wear and tear and that you would have longevity in the game. So how did you discover flag football and who knew that the twists and turns it was going to bring you? Well, in 19 and 20, I was playing eight man. I was playing eight man in my early 20s. I knew nothing about five man. So... That could get me into a whole, I could totally go in a direction here because all the years playing flag, I would always look on the website and there was so much talking going on on this website between eight-man players and five-man players. And, you know, the big boys that play eight-man call five-man not real football and, you know, back and forth, chit-chat. I played them both. I understand it. I understand, you know, eight man's more of like if you played football in high school and you laced it up and you strapped that, you know, the helmets on and you smacked around, which I did. I love eight man. I get it. Five man, I got introduced. Someone was at my house, Billy. He was a landscaper and he was at my house and I think I was tossing the ball in the yard and he came to me one day. He's like, you got a good arm, bro. He's like, uh, I need a quarterback on my five man team. And I, and you know, I played eight man in my early twenties. I didn't get into five man until I was 28, 29. I was around 28, 28, 20. Yeah. 28, 29. Right. And I went out there and I was like, this five man thing is cool. (laughs) Like, like this is for athletes. This, you know, 
Because sometimes the hardest part when you get into the 20s and 30s is finding the big boys, finding the linemen. You know, I could always find a receiver. I could always find someone who is athletic. But to get the guys that are going to block for you, I was taking my staff. I'm like, you're hired at Bogarts, but I need you on Sunday morning to block for me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I came to some games, Domingo Graham, who was you know, one of my employees for five years. He played for the Texans. He played in the NFL. These were guys that I was bringing down in my eight-man league. And, you know, the five-man kind of grabbed me. I got there, and our team was putrid. When we walked out there, it was a bad team. But Pat Brady was a wide receiver for him. Myself and Pat became really good friends right there. The rest of the team was kind of, I didn't know the rules of five-man or how to play this game. Did Pat know the rules at that time? He knew how to get down the field. Yeah. I, the, the kid knew how to get. Oh, Pat was a good receiver. In, the, in those days, Pat so quick. And, you know, I had a lot of respect for him. And we became friends because he lived in Long Beach. And at that time, I was just leaving Long Beach to move to Dix Hills. Mm-hmm. So myself and Pat became friends playing on this team. And then he went to the Saville Vikings land. And I started calling my friends from high school that we went you know, basically 10 and 0, we lost championship, but 10 and 1, I guess. Our senior year in New I Park, I was calling my friends, Frank, Fabrizio. I'm like, guys, let's play flag. I'm like, this is five man thing. I'm like, we could do good in this. So I wound up getting my guys. I got my friend Anthony Luparella. I had Luparella playing with me from Hofstra. I had uh, Dale, who I met from Adelphi, who's coming into the bar. So I started recruiting people little by little. I'm like, all right, I got this quick kid. I got this guy this quick. I got my friend here who has short hands. I know if I flip it to him, if I'm in trouble. And we started putting a little team together. And before you know it, we went to our first championship two years into it. And it was against Pat Brady. It was against Avil, probably the best game ever. And I had to beat Kevin Walker to get there. Wow. Kevin Walker, I played in the championship. I think it was, was it House of Pain or whatever his name. Yeah, whatever they were. We beat them in the final seconds to make it to the championship. And I remember going to the field the next year and Kevin Walker walked up to me and said, yo, you're my quarterback. I want to come play for you, bro. <laughs> He's like, I don't like to lose and you're my guy. And I was like, yo, I'll take you in a heartbeat. You're a stud. And Kevin came to our team. And that's really where the team was formed. My downfall in what I did is we really relied on five guys, six guys. That's it. I played offense. I played defense. I was never able to replace myself on defense with a defender that could defend like me. And I feel like, you know, Kevin was with us for a few years. We lost a few championships because Kevin, unfortunately, had a nine-man game at the same time. Couldn't show up or wouldn't show up or me and him didn't talk for a few months because I was pissed. That was always his priority, though, right? 100%. No, he always told me nine-man's his priority. Yeah, So it always was, I can't be mad other than when you play a whole season and you go nine and one, ten and one, whatever, and you get to the finals and you only have five guys. So, you know, Kevin cost me... And my teammates, at least two championships, maybe three. <laughs> By his absence. Yes. Because, he, he, you know, he's that good. You know, when you're losing games and it's, uh, you know, 42-39 and, you know, he would have been the difference maker. Uh, he knows how much I trusted him out there. And, uh, you know, and then people start going over and doubling up my teammates. It's so important in five men to have four guys you trust. You know, if you have two guys, 
you're not going anywhere. If you have three guys, you can make some noise. But if you have four, you could win. Mm. And, and that's what it's always been about. Four guys, you know, it's funny. I, I looked at one of the questions uh, you wrote my way, comparing, I guess, eight-man, nine-man to five-man. Yeah. And the big debate that I always hear is, like I was just saying a few minutes ago, that, you know, it's not real football. You know, five man's not football. You know, eight man's not football. You know, you know, and oh, it's a joke that league. Well, I'll tell you, I played quarterback in both. Mm. I think playing in eight man, nine man football is much easier as a quarterback than it is in five man football when you're playing at the top level. Now, maybe if you're playing in five man C or something like that, I'm not talking that. I'm talking five man A, yeah. where Chris Alfieri, Brian's brother's chasing you, and you got the top, top guys with no one blocking, no Mississippis, and you got about an eighth of a second to make a decision to get that ball out of your hand. You know, when you're playing in eight man and nine man, you got a line. If your line's good and they lean into these Infinite guys, time, too. Infinite. You could be back there. You, you got six seconds to make a decision. 100%. You don't even have enough time to make that decision. The field is wider. Because you have Chris coming at you. Yes. Who sole responsibility- Is my hips. Is getting you, and uh-huh. that's it. Yep. And, and no one could convince me that eight-man, nine-man is tougher on a quarterback. Right. Now, maybe for other people, you know, the field is tighter for five-man. So if you get a really good safety, like back in the day, the Flyers had Carmine in the back. He could split the whole field. I put some air under it. He could go left to right, sideline to sideline, and it'd be physical and knock it away. Now, when I say five-man as a quarterback is harder than eight-man or nine-man, I say it only in the A division. You got to be in the top league. I agree. If you're in the top league, it's a different game. Yeah. If you're in the lower league, I know there's two Mississippi now and all this other stuff, and maybe the pass rusher, you could just put a shake on them and leave them in that the That just dust. doesn't even make it fun as a referee, though, too. No. Like, and, and just to piggyback what you're saying is that when I first started, when you gracefully bowed out, I was reffing the 49ers every week. So I thought this was real life. So once I started doing C games, I'm like, what? What? I this is not even fun for me. No, those forty nine, that forty nine er team actually, <laughs> Shady called me to be the quarterback of that team before he took Brian. Yes, Chris, you called me first, <laughs> <laughs> and and I said no, and it's the reason I said no is we just lost the championship to Brian, and myself, Mike, and Dale were just miserable. It was such like a hard, like every one of our games come down to the final drive. And, you know, I, I, you know, like I called Dale and I'm said, you're going to play, you know, like if I play, you're going to play. And he was kind of like on the, I don't know, like he was kind of miserable. We lost too. And then I didn't do it. And then he asked Brian, <laughs> they've gone on this tremendous run. I always say to myself, man, what if I would have said yes? <laughs> like the fifth Beatle right now. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, you know, what it's like, you know, I'm happy the way things worked out. They've had a great run yeah. watching Shady do what he did. Awesome. You know, I'm so happy for him and watching Brian, you know, kick ass on the next level. Because, you know, I always saw Brian as like this. You know what I loved most about Brian's game? I never looked at him. Brian, don't take this the wrong way because I love you. I never looked at him like he's a great quarterback. I looked at him like he's a winner. That's the only way I looked at that kid. Every time I played him, I said, he wants this more than anything. And I want it more than anything. And that's why me and him had these great games. And I think as the years got on, he developed into a great quarterback. But in the beginning, he was a raw quarterback. He, he could only really go to the left. I knew which way he would go. When I, yeah, he had that one shake, that one move. Yep. And he, then the, the cross arm yep. all the way to the back shoulder of the field. Yep. He, he had his plays, and Brian was good at what he was good at. But I wasn't like, wow, he's, 
And as the years have gone on and as I've watched him, he's developed so much. Now he's a great quarterback. He was, he was guided by the competitive spirit that he always had, right? So You know what? Brian hits me up. We still talk. We don't talk as much as we used to. I'm, I'm grandpa now, but, you know, but he always hits me up and he always says, Matt, you kept me going. Like, I wanted to beat you so bad. And I have so much respect for him. And, you know, I, when I see his posts, I see, like, newspaper articles. I'm like, dude, I get up. I'm like, I'm, like, cheering for him like he's my son. You got to text him and say, like, luckily, luckily I was never the 49ers quarterback. <laughs> Who who knows where you would have been? Right? <laughs> Lucky I wasn't 15 years younger, brother. <laughs> no, you know what? You know what's meant to be is meant to be. You mm. know what? And I I take I've enjoyed every year, every season. I've enjoyed every one of my teammates. Uh, if it was you know Doug, it just didn't matter who was on my team. I loved Jeff. I, you know I loved all my guys. And you know what? Even if we went to the, you know, now I don't feel so bad losing some of those championships because at least I'm watching my man Brian playing on TV. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's going to Spain last I looked. Right. Hey, you know, you know, to me, I was the guy that fought him tooth and nail to the last drive. And it's something that my teammates could feel good about. You know, like we're not a tournament team down in Orlando right. or a Texas Stadium. Mm. And we took them. And he had a lot of respect for what we did. Yeah. Now, just going to, you know, you mentioned a lot of people, Kevin Walker, Carmine, all of those basically was the nucleus of the 49ers. But I just want to give you the opportunity to speak to on anybody else that you have teammates or any rivals that you've had or anybody that's a mentor to you that have helped you shape the way you are of just being a pioneer in the flag football space, at least in Long Island. Well, I know you mentioned something about the referees. I know, you know, and, and you know, when I had Mike and John and other Mike, there were two Mikes and John. I know, and I'm not sure they're all last names. So we have Mike Agliano and yes. then John Parisi, who yes. were, they were brother-in-law, right? They were brother-in-laws. Yep. And That's then them. you have Mike Russo, who was the big one. Um, I only got the opportunity to ref with John Parisi one time because literally when I started doing those five-man games, he was like, yeah, I'm out. I'm not into it anymore. So never really got a chance to ref with him, but Mike and Mike, I mean- it hurts me in a way because every time we're together, we, we are rarely together. We always get together like in the playoff game. So we'll just talk about what we've been up to in the past week. But, you know, it's sad to me when it's me and Mike or it's Mike and Mike or the other Mike and me where it's like, oh, thank God you guys are together. It's like, what has everybody else been doing? You know, that's why I'm always such a defender of just getting the development of referees because I don't feel like there's a correct education wise, the infrastructure that they do. They just basically bank on that we're going to be together, which is never happening, but go ahead. No, nah, just, you know, just to, you know, the first few years you play, it's so easy. And I see so many teams blame the ref. Oh, it's the ref's fault we lost today. Right from the get-go, I've always said to my teammates, I've always said to them, guys, let's not leave it up to the refs. Let's take care of business. If we're the better team, we should take care of business early. We shouldn't leave it down to a final drive where a bad call you believe is made. So you got to go yell and scream at the ref. You know, first few years, maybe I could have been accused of that. Oh, the ref made a bad call. Maybe the ref did make a bad call. Maybe he didn't. Maybe I saw it through, you know, my Bogart lens or whatever I saw it through. But as the years gone, as we moved forward in the, you know, as years went on, I had a lot of respect for the referees. You know, they deal with a lot of shit. A lot of people complain, you know, you know, the referee, you know, both teams are yelling at them. There's balking going on both ways. And I like to see that they're consistent. They stick to their guns. They make their call. That's their call. You know, suck it up. 
just move on. And, you know, I felt like it actually helped me build my team because I learned really early, don't leave it up to the refs. You know, take care of business. If you would have made that catch or if I would have made that throw or if we would have done this together, we would have won. We don't have to sit here and blame him, blame us. And I think I just got better mentally looking in the mirror at me instead of looking and complaining. And not just me, but all my teammates. Because I saw guys out there, not to mention names, I don't know if I want to throw names out there, but guys on other teams that were balking and screaming at refs and it was like a whole shit show going on. And I had no respect for that, especially with my kids at the games. I don't, I didn't want to be that guy. Now there was one time that one of the mics I freaked on, but that, <laughs> but that cost us the championship. I, I ran a 40 yard touchdown to win the game. Mm-hmm. And he called Mike Lupa for a, a, an offensive pick that he ran into the guy. And I don't think Mike was called on that all year. Mm-hmm. And I did lose my, so, you know, but besides that, you know, I think they all do a great job and, mm-hmm. You know, you know, every now and then you get a bad ref. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, it seems that George always gave me Mike, Mike, John. You know, like I got the same consistent guys. And it was kind of like as much as Dale and, you know, Anthony and Mike and Doug and Fabrizio were my family. The refs were kind of like my family. Because you, know, you were like, growing with them as yeah, well. Yeah, we see each other yeah. every, you know, they knew my team would be 9-2 and two or 8-1 and one or whatever our record would be. And we played the game a certain way and we, you didn't talk kids out there. And, you know, so it, it, was, it was nice. Like a little, you know, like family away from my family. Mm. So Yeah, I, I know that we always come from a, a place of mutual respect. I know that anytime we have somebody like Bogarts or 49ers or the Dogs, on the schedule, we get up for that because it's like a rarity now. Like we're so used to just doing C games and we have to do the two Mississippi count. And it's not, listen, there's nothing worse for us to do a bad flag football game, right? Because you, you might think like, okay, we're getting paid. Sure, we are. But at the same time, we want to do meaningful games. We want to do something competitive. When did they start this two Mississippi thing? Because I didn't get two Mississippi at any point in my life. I think life. <laughs> once the ghost of Matt Prince got involved, when they were like, wow, not everyone is good as Matt Prince, not everyone is good as Brian Alferi. So what they did was they realized that they can have a whole section of mediocre teams to maybe graft them to get to the point. But, you know, at the same time, I do think that it's a good stopgap. What I do think that it's also a bad bottleneck because now teams that deserve to have a full rush they, they purposely leave themselves back so they can stay competitive. Kind of be the, the, the lion of this particular game. Right. But I don't really see any competitive advantage because I, I really think it just completely neutralizes the rusher. And it doesn't it changes the complexion of the game. Changes the game completely. Right. Like, I had to play a game because at the coin flip this summer, they came to me and they said, oh, you're playing two Mississippi. I was like, two Mississippi? <laughs> I said, we're in the, aren't we in the A-League? Like, what do you mean, two Mississippi? Oh, these people came from the B or the C or whatever they came from. And they, that's what they play, and it's up to them. So then I had to play in it. And I'm like, I could score 50. <laughs> I'm, like, if I'm like, I may never get stopped. But that should and, be the competitive pocket that you're in. Like, if you're going to give me these parameters, then I'll try to score 70 points. You know what? It was almost boring to me. Yeah. I'll, I'll be honest. That's with how you. I feel. It was boring. I remember I played the first game of the fall season. We won, I think it was 40 to 6. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that close. <laughs> it was it was forty to six, and I remember just like taking chances, flinging the ball, just because it was so boring to have that two Mississippi. Yeah, because I'm so used to not even being able to grab the laces, and you know I'm looking at the defense and Alfieri. As much as he was a great quarterback, Brian was a great middle linebacker on his defense. 
I don't know if he still plays any D at all. Probably doesn't. I don't think so. But Brian was so good. He read my eyes. He would jump routes. He he would watch film on me. He told me he watched film on me. I couldn't believe what this kid did. But you know, Brian was one of the few people, because I would get to the line, and I know where I'm going before, you know, before I say hike, before I take the ball, I know where the ball's going. And I say to myself, if they're in man, you know, if they're in man, I'm going here. If they're playing zone and they're making it look like man, I'm going there. Like, I'll know in my head, boom, it's one look, two. That's it, out, because the guy's going to be on my hips. 28 years old, 29 years old, 32-year-old Matt Prince, you better come after me slow because mm. I'm going to take off and you're not going to catch me. Mm. Oh, but fall the time catches everybody. <laughs> you know, fall the time going to catch me. Yeah, you still got it. I saw one of these throws that sailed out and it wasn't your fault. It was the receiver's fault. But, you know, other point that I wanted to say, just from the referee piece, I just always want to have these conversations with players and coaches because I also want you to understand, like, and you, you know, recognize early on that Mike, Mike, and John were the top that were refing you. There's not going to be anyone more upset when a referee makes a mistake than the referee themselves. We don't come out there trying to make mistakes, right? Brother. And then I'll just also think about a time this past summer, I think it's one of these new teams. And you know how these new teams come. They were all Long Island in their high school. And I go, listen, this is five-man flag football. This is not even a comparison. If anything, if you were all Long Island in basketball, that might serve you better than being all Long Island in, in football. You know what's funny you say that? All of my teammates... Mike Lupa. First of all, Mike Lupa. Let me give a second on Mike. Mike could be great at anything. Yes. That, that is one of the best athletes I've ever met in my life. 100%. He's a silent assassin. <laughs> Mike talks Unless he's not little, playing. <laughs> unless I get alcohol in Mike. But Mike could play defensive end, linebacker, safety, corner, wide receiver, quarterback. It, it doesn't matter. Kicker. It doesn't matter the position. Mike can play it. So, you know, Mike was playing against me quarterback quarterback and we were shaking hands one game after a game and I said when are you coming to my you know I beat him and I said when are you coming to play with me and I said you could play any position just not mine <laughs> but he's good enough to take mine oh yeah Mike, Mike so Mike is so good so as you just mentioned a lot of these football players aren't actually football players in flag they actually excelled in other sports and as I got in at 28 29 I started saying to myself this kid, he played lacrosse. This guy was a wrestler. Yeah. This guy was a basketball And that player. was an extension of you, too, because you excelled in other sports. In football, but not flag football. Right. And basketball and baseball, it I, made sense. I was a center fielder and a point guard. Yeah. I was quick. Yeah, in five, man, it was all about speed and hand-eye coordination. Mm. That's all it was. Mm. If you could catch and you could run and you can throw and you had that first quick step, you could be a five-man guy. So I was looking for guys that were athletes, not football players, athletes. I could see in the eight-man, nine-man, when it became a little bit more physical in the lines, that you want guys that know technique and all that kind of stuff. But well, five-man, you can get away with that by just being a superior athlete. Because you can't touch. Because mm. you get, you know, some people say, oh, that's a soft league. You can't, you know. Hey, listen. That's the eight, rule, though. An eight-man, they're not killing each other yeah. either. There's a little, you know, Is whatever. basketball soft because you shoot a three-pointer? You still need skill to shoot the three. Skill. You need skill. Yeah. You know what? And I had Anthony Luparello who could you know, break your ankles, make one move and just bust you. I was like, man, that kid's quick. Mm. You know what Lupa could do? He's on another planet with his moves. Dale, he was the captain of Adelphi lacrosse, another ankle breaker and a big boy. Just everyone we had, you know, Doug Ingram, you know, baseball. Now he's a softball traveling monster. But everyone that we had, Fabrizio, another one. 
Delphi captain, lacrosse player, defense player. Like everyone we had on our team, I think I, I don't think I had anyone that was a football player. Kevin Walker, he played football. But Ke- Kevin Walker played at Temple and he played football. But for the most part, my teammates weren't football players. Mm. And even Brian Alfieri, going back to Brian, Brian played basketball. He didn't play football in high school. But you know what? The guys that were athletic and played other sports excelled in my five-man league. And, you know, it just made it really special to just say to someone, look, did you ever play, like, touch with your friends in the street? You're a good athlete. Come out here and try it. And then Mm. they get out there and like, yo, I love this sport. It's awesome. Mm. And then you just get guys, you know, I surrounded myself with guys that just loved going out there every Sunday. We all left, you know, text maybe during the football game the Giants are on or something we'd hit each other up but during the week I take on my life they take on their life but we all relied on each other when Sunday at 9 a.m. started you know they get my texts in the morning let's go guys you know I start shooting my to everyone and getting everyone amped up especially for the bigger games we we either won together or lost together but it was like family yeah I think those two ingredients are just mainly important just just listening to the totality of your flag football career is competitive spirit and superior athlete. You get those two ingredients, it doesn't matter really what sport it is. It just so happened to be the muse is flag football. I did want to ask you just the just the whole portion of, you know, I always have identified you as like a master of being able to scout talent, especially when you're playing or just figuring out like, okay, wow, I just seen this kid play dodgeball and you know what he would be good at? He'd be a good wide receiver in this game. So just talk about what your thought process is of just being able to, to see that through in, in anything that you do. Well, if I never got into the bar industry, I wanted to be a coach. Always wanted to be a coach. You know, I looked around the family tree. I said, there's a good chance I'm not going to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", but I love the sport. And I didn't just love football. I love basketball. I love baseball. I was always, as a younger kid, I always wanted to play with the older kids because I felt like playing against guys that were bigger, stronger, quote unquote, better than me would only make me better. And, you know, basically to me, I respect talent. When I see someone and I say, you know what? The guy has raw talent. He just needs someone to coach him. 1995, six, I got in coaching with Jay Wright. I think I might've told you this in a previous conversation. Mm -hmm. And that was an opportunity I really wanted to go with and he got me in the door. I could have been one of the basketball coaches with him. And You could have been a Wichita State right now. I could have been a Wichita State right now. (laughs) I could have been somewhere like all his assistants. And yes, I wasn't able to follow through completely after a few weeks. I had Bogarts and I was locking the door at five, six in the morning, then going straight to the gym and it's still in school. But the idea of coaching kids was the ultimate for me. Mm. And it didn't matter if they were college kids or my son's age at you know, football and showing them how to leave the open, you know, push them back to the middle. You got people there to help you just showing them how to do it. Even the best players that I had on my flag football team, I would say to them, when I give you, we called our little toss play. We called it the Farf back in the day. We'd be in the huddle. I'm like Farf and they all knew what to do. And I'd say to them, your body momentum takes you across the field. You got to fight the momentum, plant the foot and go. Someone grabs your flag, tip your hat, get back to the huddle. If he misses, you're gone. You know, it's like the little things that we learned with the pass rusher, break down. Sometimes you don't have to grab the flag. You break down in front of that quarterback, 
he steps back and all yeah. of a sudden his throw is completely off and you get a pick. You know, how to defend people. Like, I felt like I was coaching as much as I was playing. And to see now today, guys like Mike, guys like Dale. Dale said to me this summer, Matt, I'm playing with you. He said, yes, the guys want me to play on, you know, the dogs or whatever that he's playing on, you know, with Looper and Alfieri and them. He said, but I'm coming to play with you. I want to teach your son to play mm. the way you taught me how to play. Mm. And, you know, that just meant a lot to me, man. Yeah. He showed up and, and it was just awesome, man. It's like, you know, that meant a lot to me, you know, because it's one thing for me to coach my own children. It's another thing to have someone else that I trust to coach them. Sometimes it's good to hear it from someone else. You know, like I could coach your son, but you could come coach my son. But I know you know the game. And you know I know the game. So the hearing it the right way is just that different voice. Yeah. And to see the way Dale showed them on defense, he like got up, he said, show them this, and then drop back on hike and do this, and just the little things. And to see Fabrizio teach uh, Nadim how to pass rush. You know, just little tips. Yeah, maybe Fabrizio's my age, and he can't go after the quarterback the way he once did, like a, like a ferocious cat. But he could teach someone how to go get those flags. And... I've seen it all around. My, my other son's friend's name is TP. Same thing. They're coaching him. Stay in this zone. This is your area. You know, it's like, so co- coaching people and seeing talent, that's how I got to recruit my teammates. Yeah. You know, one, one by one, even Doug Ingram. I don't remember Doug's friend. <laughs> I, don't remember, <laughs> I don't remember Doug's friend. But Doug's friend came to help us uh-huh. out one day. And he's a nice kid. And, he's, and I said, I think we need another player. And he brought this kid, Doug Ingram. And not to be rude, but the kid that I knew wasn't good enough for our team, mm. but Doug was legit, right. and I needed Doug on our team. And myself, Dale, Mike, Anthony, Fabrizio, whoever was my teammates at that time, we were always very straight and to the point. There was no in our conversations. Could this guy help us win a championship? Could this guy help us when the chips are down, or is, the, you know, is he replaceable? And as the years went on, it got harder because I didn't have that pool of people to choose from. But in the early years, we had what we needed. But like I said, I like to play offense and defense. Dale wanted to play offense and defense. Kevin Walker wanted to play offense and defense. So how am I going to keep other people happy? I, but I had to rely on my five, six guys because we're all playing O and D. So if one guy doesn't show up or two guys... It's a domino you're effect. You're yeah. done. You mm-hmm. got no team no more. I can't, you plug in that weak link, you play a good team, they're going to find that weak link. They're going to find it. Yeah. I know you would. Oh. <laughs> if I, if I, I, you know, I've played some teams where I just look over at the guy on defense. I let him know I'm coming at him all game. Mm. I don't even have to look at the other side. It's like, you know, they have like Revis Island. They got one kid that you know is legit and you know you got a weak link. I'm just going to go after him. Mm. You know, and, and the good thing about my teammates, no one was selfish. No one's selfish. I had a game. There was a playoff game. I don't remember what year. We were walking, you know, back to the benches after the game. We were at Call Place High School. Dale walks over to me and he goes, you're the man. I said, what's up? I thought he was going to be pissed at me because I didn't throw him the ball all game in the playoffs. He goes, you knew they were taking me out and you did what you needed to do. I'm not mad. He said, you didn't throw me the ball once today. He said, but we kicked their ass. Mm. And he said, you know, because to me, I trust all my guys. And that's the only way to win. And I saw the defense had a lot of respect for Dale. And they were scared of Dale. So I said, listen, if we're going to win this game, I can't force it to Dale. He's going to get a pick. 
I got to go the other way. I got to go figure out and create space on the other side. And that's what I did. And he, you know, he's mature enough. He's a teacher himself. Yeah. He understood he's a coach and a teacher. And he said, yo, you're the man. Mm. Good job. I want to stay at that piece of just talking about how you were able to, you know, just branch out and in real time coach while you were playing. Just philosophically speaking, and I know this is probably going to be a difficult answer. What do you think you like better? Your your personal pursuits of your competitive spirit and getting the satisfaction of achieving your goals? Or do you think you get as much satisfaction of watching others perform at your under your watch? That's a tough question, I know. It's, it's like, it's almost like an apple and an orange. It's almost like I enjoy both of them mm. so much. My own achievements, you know, like how much I push myself and how much I want to win and how much I want to be in championship games and how much... I love my teammates and I don't want to let them down. And I want to take that ball on the final drive and stick it in that end zone. And then to be on the sideline and watch my guys do it while I'm not playing anymore, but see like how once again, a looper or a Dell will come over to me. Now I'm watching them in a game this summer and the respect that we have. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like I feel, you know, only 10 years older, but I feel like a dad to them. You know, like <laughs> I feel like, you know, I brought them under my wing or, you know, at least Dale. You know, Mike, Mike was such a good athlete, Lupa. It was just like teaching him a few things, but he could just do anything. And Dale, it was like, he's such a good athlete, but he didn't know flag. And now everyone, everyone knows Dale. Everyone knows what he can do. Mike, you know, like I wish some of my other guys weren't my age and they stayed around because I loved my teammates. You know, Kevin Walker walked away as time went on. Um, Anthony Luparella hurt his knee. He walked away. He also moved to New York City. Fabrizio got married, had kids. I don't know. Kept going out for dinners at uh, <laughs> Yankee Stadium. <laughs> you know, so little by little as we were losing guys here and there, you know, we had to replace guys and, you know, Frank, Coleus, one of my best friends from high school, he was my original center. You would never think this guy, like you wouldn't cover this guy. You know, that's another thing about this league. 20 years ago in five man, your worst player played center. Your worst guy was the pass rusher. Now it's your best guys, your pass rusher and your best guys, the center. It completely changed because I feel like I was one of the first that said, you know what? I want to put a center because no one really like respects the center. And I wanted to make it something that, you know what? If you're going to take my guys, I don't want the chubby little nothing do to do playing center. I want someone that I know could catch, could run. They're going to leave them alone. I'm going to make them pay for it. I've seen as the years go on, now all the good teams center could really, the, the good teams that know what they're doing have a good center. The teams that know what they're doing, it's like baseball. They say you got to be strong up the middle. It's the same thing. You got to have a good secondary, good safety that's overseeing everything, pass rusher, quarterback, center, everything right up the middle. You know, I always feel like you could get a guy that could catch the ball, but you got to win up the middle because what's the, what do they say? A to B is the fastest, you know, straight line, straight line. You know, we had our trouble with Brian Alfieri at the end. We didn't have enough defense against his team. And it pissed me off because I was playing against his defense, which was legitimate. And our defense was missing some parts. And one of it was my fault because I couldn't play with those kids. You know, as I got to like 40, 
you know, hey, like your wheels are going to come off the bus. It's just going to happen. Mm. I, can't, I can't, that first step, I couldn't stay anymore. And I knew it and it sucked. No one told me to sit down, but I knew it was time to sit down. Right. And I never was able to replace me. And, you know, I felt like, how could I make two Lupas or two Dells? Because I need Dell to play D-back, but I also like want to send them in a rush. You know, like we, we never were able to plug the hole. But we were good enough to get to every championship or be in them because I think we lost a bunch in a row at the end. And they were all heartbreaking. Mm. None of them were, oh, we got blown out. They were all the final minute. And we would beat him during regular season. And then the playoff game, we'd lose in the final play or the final drive. It's so frustrating. That's why when Chris called me to play for his Niner team for the first time, I was so broken that we lost. <laughs> you were like, no. I was just like, I just need like a month away yeah. from this football mm. Mm. I was like, I'm like, I hate to lose. And I guess that's why I love guys like Tom Brady. Yeah. Because you just see what it takes eating, training. Not that I have avocado ice cream like him, but to see how serious he takes it. And at least he gets paid for it. I don't even get paid. I yeah. do it because I love it. Yeah. You know, seeing guys like Calhoun and I see him still going out there. That's awesome, man. Yeah. For me. Yeah. I love it. I, and I got guys that are 10 years old, like Dale and Mike. And then they're like, oh, I don't know how much longer I'll be doing it. You know, like they don't know, you know, like they start to ache and they complain, oh, I'm getting old. I'm like, dude, you're 35. Shut up. You're not old, man. You're good, bro. Right. right. I think about those wise and athletes and, you know, just even Tom Brady, his approach to the game, obviously it's extreme and he's getting paid for it and he's doing things to win the Super Bowl because he's single mindedly focused on that goal. But he has had to make those adjustments. Right. So just talking about even when you started flag football at 28, I know what it's like to be an athlete at 28. When I was 28, I was still dunking. I was still playing basketball at a high level. But as 30, 31, 32, you start getting to the point where like your mental is now catching up with the peaks of your physical ability. And I say around 33, 34 is like the mental is still ascending, but then little parts, attributes happening. So just talking about those adjustments when you started becoming early 30s to the mid 30s and now into your 40s, what did you have to change you know, diet-wise, supplement-wise, just different habits that you did to, in order for you to have that longevity in the game of flag football? I, I took on Pilates. I wound up doing Pilates uh, for about 10 years. Uh, I do one-on-one Pilates. I changed my whole diet. I think I was in the best shape of my life at 40 because I knew if I was going to go on, lifestyle had to change. So... Um, 39, 40, 38, 39, 40 is when I started really getting into uh, fitness to the point that it was obsessive. Cardio five days a week, eat clean five days a week, cheat on the weekends, no, basically no alcohol. What else? Uh, you know, I, a roller. I lived on my roller. I'd roll out all my muscles. I'd get massage. I'd get, uh, oof, I, I feel like everything... I did in life was kind of in the best interest of my flag football career. <laughs> sad, to, sad to say, sad to say that I was 40 years old and I was so competitive. You weren't doing breakfast events on Sunday morning. No, you know, no. Did you have like, to text people at like 11, like make sure you leave the bar and you wake up and oh, you set I, your alarm? My guys know I'm bad. You know, my guys know that they got a sat, they, they got a, 
especially as we got near the playoffs, did we get these long texts of, you know, what to expect. And if we see this by the defense or whatever, no, we're going to jump to this. You know, if, if we start off sluggish, we may go no huddle, just be alert. You know, I might do this, I might do that. Everyone knew they had to do a check-in with me in the morning. I would text everyone, make sure everyone's up. There's no issues. No one did a late-night bender on me. Yeah, but for me, things things definitely changed. As as I got from, like, early 30s to late 30s, I, I could still, you know, running-wise, I was pretty good until I think about 37, 38. I felt like I was pretty good. And then I had a hip flexor pop on me. <laughs> Actually... I'm still mad at Mike. <laughs> Mike thought I said hike, and I was just moving somebody on um, uh, one of the receivers. I was telling him, yo, 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 come in, come in, come in. And he thought I said hike or whatever or go or whatever the hell I yell. And he snapped it at me. And in the corner of my eye, I put my hand up to block the ball, and I heard this loud pop. I said, what just went pop? I went to take a step. I was all, I, I, I tore my hip flexor. That was the first drive of a game. I did not miss a series. I did not miss a play. I stayed out there. I could not. We wound up. I threw four touchdowns that day. We won 28-27. I could not walk. We played the championship and lost. This is the year we lost to Brian. And I remember it like it was yesterday because I threw an interception on the two-yard line. I still want to puke in my mouth. Um, but we were driving, and I threw an interception, and he picked it, and I could have grabbed him. I couldn't walk and he wound up taking it all the way to the house and we wound up losing by two or three points or something like that. But I got through the semis with the tearing and then I played the finals knowing I couldn't walk, but I knew I could throw. I took the whole two months there. It wasn't, I guess, a complete tear. I didn't need surgery, but it was shredded to the point I couldn't put my underwear on. I had to pick up my hand. <laughs> you know, I was picking up my leg uh, with both my hands to wow. get my underwear on. So it was really bad, but... I went through the whole fall season, no running involved, just knew if I stayed in the pocket, I could pass. I think one of the things from 28 to the day I walked off the field, I never missed a game, ever. There was no family something. There was no, nothing got in my way, no injury, no, my elbow, no, nothing. Yeah, I would even say the last, I, maybe it was like the game before, maybe the championship game that we just had, I know you got hurt and you were still playing. I was like, you bugging, bro. You're not even like, oh, maybe hurt. if you was in 10th grade. <laughs> I was like, you sure you want to go? And and I mean, without fail, you weren't, and, and what is that? You think that's a mixture of adrenaline or just summoning those competitive, that fire that, that you have and you just know like, I'll worry about the pain later. We're going to ignore that and we're just going to get this done. What, what is Where does that come from? You know, You know what? I pulled my hamstring. I went to go make a move around someone. Like, and, and, and I was like, this guy's done. I had flashes of being 28. Okay, that's <laughs> I, was what like, it is. I was like, that kid was quick and I was going to get around him. And I said, listen, he's not respecting that I'll go. And in your mind, you think you're 28, but meanwhile, you're 47. That's what but I was you telling think- you. The, the mental still ascends. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is, yeah. And, and, and it was cool that day. It was cool. You know, a little wind, cool, you know. And it grabbed and I went to the sideline and the pain, one to 10, felt like, Nine, Like, it was, ouch. It was up there. It was a high grab. That's why when I saw Daniel Jones and the Giants get hurt against Cincinnati, I was like, oh, that's not good. And I saw that they rushed him back the next week, and it didn't look Because I know how long. And he's younger than me. But still. And he'll heal quicker than me. And he has all the right tools, I'm sure, in the Giants. But the hamstring's a hamstring. You know, it takes time to come back. You need a week or two. Only thing that can 
heal that time. is time. Time. So time. You can't That's even it. do anything. So I got to the sideline and the, I said, help me up. I asked one of the two guys, I said, help me up. They pulled me up. I said, give me the football. I wanted to see if I could throw the ball. I could throw the ball. I said, I'm going back out there. Right, so Once I knew the arm could throw, you know, I think it would have been worse for me if it was the right leg and the left leg grabbed. So though it was the left, I felt like, cause that wasn't my push off leg. I was able to do it. And I knew in that game, we were like, I think it was seven, seven at the time or something. It was close. It, it was, was yeah. it was a tight game. And I said, you know what? I remember we got an interception run back. I was like, thank God. <laughs> I was like, thank God. We picked one and took it to the house. And then I threw a touchdown on the next drive mm -hmm. to get it to two scores. And I knew we took it, you know, and then I, I didn't even want to snap the ball at the end and put a knee on it. I was asking a teammate to like kind of put your knee down because I couldn't get down and up. But, you know, what drives me to stay out there is I guess I don't want to let my teammates down. Mm. You know, like I, I, they're my boys and my family. Like if I went, if I grabbed that football and I couldn't throw it, I would take myself out. Mm. Like if I knew I would hurt my teammates, that's when you got to push the, you can't be selfish and you got to push it to the side. But I said, look, you know, I can't run them 47 anyway. I ain't run anyway. <laughs> I, said, I said, Matt, you had no business trying to get around that kid. I said, if you could take the ball and you could throw it. And, and my arm, thank God, is good enough that I could still put it out there. Arm is, still, arm is still yeah. intact. Same yeah. thing with Calhoun. And I always joke with Calhoun. Every time he yells at a referee, he sounds like the lead singer of ACDC. <laughs> and I only know that because I always see the wrath of him with other refs. And I remember one time he tried to cut because he always tries to trick you. Like he'll say, hey, ref, what, what was that? And I'm like, you know nothing happened. He's like, you're right. I respect <laughs> you. I was like, this guy, he's always trying to pull a fast one on refs. But after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a flag football player? A lot of love for the game. You know, you just got to love it. You know, it's like if the first time I stepped out on the field to play flag, when Billy asked me to play quarterback for his team, I knew I loved the sport. It, it was like no one had to convince me. No one had to call me twice to ask me to come down and play. It was like it was ingrained into me. I was like, this is, you know, like, you know, baseball. I won a bunch of championships growing up. But there was no, like, softball didn't do it for me. Once you got into your 20s, I don't want to play softball. Softball is, it's so intermittent, right? It's like, all right, I just struck out. I will see no action until like an hour and a half from now. Yeah, yeah. and too many people on the team don't take it serious. Yeah. I take things serious. Right. Like to me, I only want, you know, maybe to a fault, but my teammates know what they're getting with me. They know I'm going to take it serious. They know it's life or death to me. It's not, oh, it's just a football game. Bull I don't play games like that. When I go out there, it's to win. And I felt like, you know, I felt like the basketball leagues, because I did play some hoops at Island Gardens, I felt like, you know, it was fun, it was cool, but it wasn't life or death, and it wasn't a consistent league. Softball, you know, I played very, very little, but it didn't feel like baseball to me. It just, I just didn't have the same juice from it. This was the closest I had to having, like, the same kind of juice. And I guess maybe because I was quarterback and I was in control of everything and the ball goes into my hands and maybe I'm a control freak or whatever my issues are, but... I liked going out there and win or lose, I'm okay with taking the blame. If we lost and it's my fault, I'm cool with that. I'm also cool with taking the congratulations when we win. You know, like the first championship we had was at Stony Brook and it was against Pat. 
it was a great game. You know, me and Pat Brady, we went back and forth on the field, and there was nine seconds left in the game. And Fabrizio was my center. And this was back in the days where I told you the center really wasn't keyed in. And this was 2005. So we're talking 16 years ago. And I looked at Fab in the huddle. And we were about 30 yards out. And I looked at Fab and I said, you got this, bro? And he said, I got it. I said, I'm going to look off that goddamn safety. I'm going to put it right in the top right window. Go get it. I laid it out there. And I remember it like it was yesterday. As the ball was in the air, he yells, game over. <laughs> Paul didn't even drop the dude's hands yet. <laughs> he yelled, uh, he knew. And you hear it echoing through so the like stadium. So like Plexico Barres when he... Oh, oh yeah. Right, yeah, right yeah. in the bread basket. Yeah, I moved off John, their quarterback, played safety. I moved him off with my eyes. Brady came for me. I turned around. I shot it to the right top. And you know what? It was just like there's no better feeling than winning with your boys. And just, you know what? We played a few years together. I played on the teams that weren't good. And there's nothing like your first championship. You know, we have others, but the first one, the best one. And yes, it ended storybook with nine seconds left from 30 yards out. We were down a point or two. I think we won by one. So whatever the score was, 27, 26, whatever the score was. And just to take that picture together, you know, for the first time, to do it three years out of the next four and to get into the Hall of Fame and to have the respect like a guy like Kevin Walker, who walked over to me the following year saying, I got to play for you. You know, when the good guys, you know, no one makes Dell play with me. No one made, I don't, I don't have a contract with these guys. They can leave anytime they want, but it's such respect that they're giving me by saying they want to be my teammate. I want to give them the same respect that my level of play is not going to come down. Mm. They expect me to hit them on their back shoulder. You know, like Dale comes to me, last year, two years ago, I was playing eight man. I wasn't playing five. I was playing eight man. And he said to me, you still throw that on a dime. He's like, nothing's changed with your arm. He's like, you know, I played with this quarterback and I played with this big quarterback. And he's like, you still throw it better than all of them. And you know what? Just to know that I get that respect from him. I know he's not blowing smoke up my ass. He's talking to me. You being real. Oh, hundred percent. You know, like he knows how bad of a lacrosse referee I am. (laughs) So he lets you know, it. yeah, no, he lets you know it, you know, and it, it's, you know, you, you want to be checked in, you know, like, like, you know, sometimes my ego will be like, oh, you know, our defense sucks right now. I'm going to go out there and play, but I know I'm not the answer. I know it's not me, but you know, I, I do, you know, you said it before best. There's times when you're an athlete and then your brain, you start learning the sport. Now your athletic ability starts going down, but you're, knowledge of the sport goes up. Now, if you could get them both on the same level, that's when you're dangerous. So early thirties, you get to know what you're doing. There's so many times I went on a football field to play five band where I saw some kids from Hofstra or Delphi, whatever they have their team. You see, they're sick athletes. You see these kids warming up. Blow them. We're up 35, nothing at halftime. It's the game's over at halftime. And I remember them like looking at us like, don't understand. They just blow us out like Makes that. Makes no sense. They don't get how you guys, who me at that time, probably late 30s, just wiped them across the floor and sent them home by halftime. And it's all because we know the game. And you know, being an athlete is one thing, but knowing the game and knowing the next step everyone's going to take, and we're just in sync together. It's just, to me, there's like, you wish your business is run like, your football team, mm-hmm. you know, like when I come and I talk to my staff at work and I have a meeting, 
it's, it's kind of like I'm the captain of the team, you know? And I'm like, guys, you know, like we all got to pull our own weight here. You know, like it's like tug of war, you know, like we all got to pull in the same direction. We're not going to win. And, you know, I just feel that chemistry every time I've walked onto a flag football team. My team has always had, there's no bickering on my team. I love that. You always go to teams and you see people arguing and you see teammates barking at each other like, oh, you, da-da-da-da. You know, my teammates never do that. I always say to people, listen, you know, I'm going to miss a throw. You're going to miss a catch. You're going to miss a flag. And you know what? We're going to go back to the huddle and just make it better on the next play. You know, because we're not going to waste our energy at each other, let alone that's just not good for a team. You know, a team's got to have each other's back. You got to know if I throw it to you and you drop a ball, I put it right in your hand, I'm coming back to you on the next play. I don't even want you to think about that. Get that out of your head because I trust you. And I want the same trust back my way. If I make a bad throw or I make a bad decision or a pick six or I do something terrible, you go, dude, we got Matt. We're coming back. Mm. You know, and, and that's, mm. you know, that's what I love about Flag. I lo- at least that's what I loved about my teammates. In terms of the future, what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go? Are we still going to keep playing? Are you going to do like a, a coaching situation? What's the future hold for you? Good question. I don't, I don't know. You know, um, I still, you know what? I've been off a few weeks. Uh, after the season ended, my, uh, my knee was bugging me a little bit. And, um, you know, I got myself feeling good. And I'm like, man, I don't get any of these setbacks when I don't play. <laughs> when I don't play, I feel good. I'm going in one direction. And now you get little nagging injuries that, you know, pop up and you're like, is it worth it? You know what? For me, I guess it comes down to my kids. You know, if my oldest son wants to play, if my younger kid, big red knight that's over here, you know, if he decides he wants to play and, you know, that would probably motivate me to play. But you know what? I, I, the one thing I don't want to do, I don't want to ask the Dales of the world, the Mikes of the world, I don't want them to feel like, oh, you know, oh, Matt's playing. Like, you know, we have to play with him. He's going to be pissed if he doesn't. You, you still want to be effective in the game if you're, you are going to play. You still want to feel like you can effectively contribute. You don't want it to be like a pity party and saying like, well, we, we did all this with Matt in 2005, so we'll just give him that legacy, just a token. Yeah. We'll play with you. Yeah, it doesn't work for me. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, look, we, we, we had our run. Uh, you know, look, if they're available and they're free and they come with me, we'll win, you know, we'll win most every game we play together. Mm. But I don't, you know, like I only have a few guys, you know, because five man's such a small team. You rely on so few people. And, you know, it's it's a fine line. I could go walk out there with, you know, with Dale and Mike and, you know, Doug or whomever, and we could probably beat anyone today. Yeah. We just walk out there and win right now. But you know what? If I can't get one of them or two of them, all of a sudden, I could lose to anybody. Changes the complexion. Yeah. Oh, the whole team's different. I could lose to teams like Venom. <laughs> I could lose to teams like that, you know? Like, yeah. hey, the weather, you know, there's five-man, you know, and that's another thing about five-man, eight-man. Eight-man, you could stick the ball in someone's stomach and you could run. Mm. Five-man is all passing. So if the gods throw down 35-mile-an-hour wins, it's a whole different game going on. You know, all of a sudden, your offense has changed. The team you're playing offense has changed, you know, and in eight man, at least, you know, you have an opportunity to get some running going, you know, like five man, there's no running in five man. Very few people could have trick plays that you could run the ball. So, you know, uh, you know, so going forward, 
my son's gonna my oldest son's gonna be in college next year. I would hope he's probably gonna get in with some of his college friends to play. I, at least I hope I gave him enough love to sign up for that. I'm I'm open to play, but who knows? If you could pinpoint one regret that you've had in your your whole career, do you have this one regret? Maybe there was like a play that you had, or maybe a game that didn't go your way. Is there one regret that you have in the game of flag football? Mm, I probably have ten. <laughs> There was one year that Carmine came and played for us. Brian went down to Florida, and Carmine, for the first time, came to our team. So I was loaded. I couldn't have more talent. I had the most talent I've ever had on one team. I had Doug. I had, we almost had too much talent. We had so many players. Sometimes that's a problem, too. That is. Because when I have too much talent, I got to rotate people in and out, and then I don't get in any rhythm. So... But we did have so much talent. I had Scott. Oh, my God. I had so many athletes on one field. It was ridiculous. Brian came back. He played for the White Tees that year. He played for the White Tees. And I remember it was a muddy, muddy day. The field was soaking. We probably should not have played on. We played at Mitchell and the place people were slipping. Oh, that place is a, a mudslide when yeah. it's raining. Oh, it was as bad as it gets. And I don't like to make excuses because, you know what, you're talking regrets. So I pin it right on myself. I threw an early interception and then another early interception in that game. We got ourselves into a big hole in a championship game, and there was no reason for us to be in a hole. And I we dug ourselves somewhat out, but we did not win. And that was probably if there was one time, you know what? I've lost enough championships to Brian and I'm pretty good. Look, as crazy as I am that I want to win, I'm very good with getting to my car after the game and letting it go. I'm very good with that. It's and not I, like you lost to a scrub either. No, nah, you know, I just like the winning is everything to me, but yeah. the second I lose, I go from, Matt, you know, I, I kind of like talk to myself, Matt, did you bust your Did you do everything you needed to do to be mm. ready for this game? You know what? You're playing against a good team. You, you got all good. There's 10 guys on that field. All 10 guys are top in five man. And, you know, I really, my mind starts going to, all right, it's time to train for the next season. It like really like, I don't like dwell in losing. Well, that's because you don't leave anything for chance. And also you... Your effort and intensity was always there. Always. It, it might be a situation where you may you misread a play or something, but it has nothing to do with your effort and intensity. I think that's why you're okay with it. And also, you confront whatever it is. Some people don't do well with confronting it, right? So they'll just have like little pockets of like, well, you know, ever since we were seventh grade, you were like this to me. It's like, whoa, you, you've been holding that. There is one play. Let's hear it. Let's <laughs> hear it. Fabrizio, do not kill me. <laughs> there is one play. We were in the championship against Seville. Must have been like 08, 09. And we were down on the five-yard line, four-yard line. Last play of the game. It started to rain. He went to snap the ball, and the ball slid out of his hand. Never even reached me. Game over. Wow. The play I called in the huddle, Kevin and Dale, I couldn't look at him until we sat down. You know, we get to the sideline, and I turned to them. I said, was it open? Said wide. <laughs> I almost threw the. F- yeah. That that was probably the hardest loss because the teams we were so evenly matched and the game went back and forth and I felt like there was one or two things I left out there, and I had this cross in play 
where they cross each other. And I said, they're going to jump to a down on the outside. And I said, Kevin, you're going to slide right down the middle. You're going to be wide in the middle back. And, you know, no one knew the ball never got to me. Everyone was running the play. And, you know, everyone was like, what? So I remember Fab, you know, just like walked off. Like, you know, he apologized to me a billion times. And I think I can't even kick. And I think I kicked that ball to like another state. I was so like mm. losing like that. was. So I guess, you know, that was one we left out there. And it happens. happens. If you could also pinpoint the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a flag football player, what would it be? Stickiest. Somebody getting hurt in game or someone getting injured? Anything. Injury. Oh, let me see. Stickiest thing in game. Somebody had to leave during the game or something like that. Kevin Walker coming in the last drive of a championship game coming from his nine man game. <laughs> Seeing him pull up and I was fuming. Did you call timeout immediately? No, I didn't even take him in the game. I was I was I wouldn't even, I didn't know. I don't even think we took him. I don't even I, you know what? He was coming from his Gator game. And he showed up and he promised me, swore to me, he was going to be at our game. You know those nine-man games are way longer than a five-man game. And it went into like double overtime or whatever it went So it wasn't into. his fault, no, though. No, 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 no. But, you know, it's not his fault. You're just angry at that I moment. Win. Right, I right. I got win. you. Yo, I killed myself. And you know me. I called George. I asked him to move our time. He wouldn't move our time for me. So I'm like, it's the championship, bro. I'm like, you know Kevin's my team, and I play with six guys. He's my main, you know. He was my wide receiver on the left. Dell was my receiver on the right. They balance each other without one of them. Playing against Alfieri is hard enough. I can't be playing with them when you're pulling away one of my best players. And you know what's best? You know what really sucks inside is when you go home and you lose. And you don't feel like you should have lost. Mm. You know, you're like, yo, if all, Things my, you couldn't if control. all my dogs were there, I win. Yeah. You know? And you tried everything to control it, and you still couldn't control it. Yeah, and, I, and listen, I had, you know, I had words with George. You know, it wasn't my first time, but George isn't, you know, flexing schedules and it is what it is. And, you know, but that, that was, yeah, seeing Kevin, you know, and me and Kevin had, you know, we've had a love hate relationship throughout the years. You know, we always had a great connection with each other. I could, you know, I drop it in the basket for him down the sideline and me and him were always like great with each other, but it was hard for me. It was almost at the end, you know, because he, he played with the 49ers in the beginning. I remember. He played at the 49ers, and me and him weren't really talking at that point because, you know, I feel like he screwed me out of championships, and he moved on, and, I, you know, it was just like, you know, I like I said, a lot of respect. And nowadays, we sit here in 2021, yeah. me and him a boy. Yeah, I hope he's allowed to have no, Uncle no, no, Steve's no. barbecue. No, of course, dude. <laughs> I, and, I, and I love Kevin. Kevin, you hear this? You're my boy. You know, me and Kevin are cool. But you know what? Listen, we're both competitors. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't play with someone that's not a competitor. Right, right. If you don't, if you don't got that dog in you, you shouldn't be my teammate. Yeah, man. And yeah. if you can't take me lashing into you, then, you know, go go play like... I think the know. competitive spirit is equal to both of you guys. Yeah. but. After all of the things that you've accomplished in the game of flag football, if you can pinpoint one one moment, the best moment that you've ever had in the game of flag football, what would it be? Throwing a touchdown to my son. Throwing a touchdown to my son. You know, that just beats everything. You know what? That's like playing, play, you know what? All the days that my kids came to the game and just, you know, I, I had them wearing like, Little Bogarts t-shirts. <laughs> oh no, joke. We all, we, you know, I wore, I wear the number four for me and my. Uh, actually, the story. When I did get a divorce, I changed my number um, from number ten to number three for my three sons. 
I even put it on my cleats. I had, you know, Nike ID. I wrote LAD number three. So my kids were small. Lucas was five. Austin and Dylan were two turning three. And I remember like it was yesterday. I'm in my car and I showed the boys the number, you know, three. Look at my number. You know, I changed it. So Lucas turns to me and he says, I thought us four were best friends. And I changed my number to four right there. And I had jerseys made up and shorts made up for my kids that had the Bogart trophies on it and the number four on it. So having that moment where I got to have my son be my teammate and not just come to the game and throw a touchdown to him and know that it was like monkey off my back and even... I even got my youngest son in in a game that we were kicking someone's butt recently and I got to throw him some balls. And, you know, that, that's just, you know, not to take a moment away from any of my teammates, but if any of my teammates ever play with their child, I already get level, it. I already get it. That's what it's all about. I already I see, get it. Like I said, I see Calhoun put it up and me and him talk about it and it's like, it don't get better than that. No, I, I completely agree. I can't wait for me to throw an alley-oop to my son when he's playing basketball or he's probably going to be refing because he's, Never seen me play basketball, but flag football has brought you so much joy in your life. I mean, you have rearranged your schedule. You've changed your diet. You have basically, your life has revolved around the game of flag football in some form or another for the latter part of 20 years. What does flag football mean to you? What is it given to you in your life? Balance. You know, you know what? It, it's, it's my religion. I joke with people that flag football is my religion. I'm like, people go to church, people go to temple, mosque, where, wherever people go. I go to the flag football game on my schedule. That's my religion. You know, like I bleed, you know, like I said, that's my family. It, it, it mellows me out. It fires me up. It does all the different things, like all the emotions. It can make me happy. It can make me cry. It can make me, it could send me in 40 different directions. And I think it's the one thing week in, week out in the fall, in the spring, some tournaments jumped in there for me. I look forward to it like like that next breath of oxygen. Mm. You know, it's it's like it's everything to me. I it's a it's a sickness. <laughs> it's like you know, there's definitely something wrong with me. <laughs> mm. I don't think so because I love the game just as much as I uh, you do and you know, even I joke around all the time in the circuit with basketball cuz basketball is so much more just it's just all over the place. I could ref any day I want, any time I want, because it's just so readily available. But flag football on Sundays, you know, I, just up until recently, when I started getting college games, I would still rather do a 20-degree winter flag football game on Sundays than be inside and do a basketball game. And then people will ask me why. Like, why would you want to do that? Why would you want to be um, enduring the elements? Because I love flag football. That's how much that game needs to mean me. But, you know, I look forward to seeing what your next move is with the game. I'm assuming you're going to throw a couple more touchdowns to your kids. I thank you for your time. I'm really looking forward to seeing what your next move is. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? I'm rough. You're the man, bro. You're the, <laughs> you're the man. No, you did a great job. And thank you for having me on. And uh, I can't wait to hear this. And, yeah, man. Uh, you're the man. Appreciate it, man. Peace. For Matt Prince, for Bogarts, for Vienna of Roslyn, Uncle Steve's Barbecue. This is Ralph the Ref. This is the brand. We are signing. And I'm about to have some barbecue. So thanks. <laughs> 